So today we begin a series titled Thankful. And I want to talk to you about what it is to be thankful through tears. Thankful through tears. When we look at the Psalms, most of the Psalms were originally set as prayers. Prayers for God's people. Prayers, songs, hymns, thoughts, ideas. And it's regular that the prayers and the songs of God's people historically often begin with lament. Another way to say that is a lot of the songs begin with an articulation of, Oh God, where are you? Uh, cries, of, cries of distress. If you just read through the 150 psalms that are collected in the canon, you, you can just sort of put yourself on journey with God's people through the ages. The, the psalms help us understand that we are a people on journey. And that as we journey, we have never been alone. There are those who have gone before us there are those who are with us now, and there are those who will follow after us. We're never alone. In the midst of distress, the good news is simply this, that while most of the Psalms or many of the Psalms begin with this articulation of, Oh God, where are you? Almost all of them resolve themselves with this discovery before you get to the end of the psalm, and it's, oh God, there you are. Where are you? Oh God, where are you? And then it's, oh, there you are. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, yeah, you're in good company because that's the experience of God's people. God, where are you? The cry of distress and the discovery as we cry out to God that he is actually there. It seems that this would lead us to an understanding that simply to read the Psalms passively would be inappropriate. This is the place where my friend says, I stand over the Scripture and I read it, and as I read it, I understand that it is reading me. You get it? The image is... We stand over the Scripture and we read it. We, we try to take it in. And as we take it in, we understand that we're not just observers, but that we're participants in the life that's being described to us. And the Psalms are a great place. And actually, I, I would agree with many theologians who would say, uh, I'm not that smart. I would agree with many theologians who say, passively, it would be inappropriate to read the Psalms passively because they're designed to invite us into this journey that I've already described. And as we're invited into this journey, the Psalms expect that we will be worshipers. We'll be worshipers, worshipers people who, uh, who actively engage the Scripture with invitation. That, that's what a worshiper is, right? Oh God, here I am. Meet me. Oh God, here I am. Awaken me. So, so it's not just passivity, but it's actively engaging the Scripture in, in, in invitation and response. And the Psalms lead us in experiencing God in the best of times 
in the worst of times and everything in between. You see, Walter Brueggemann says that the Psalms have an in, interesting pattern to them, and we're going to talk about we're going to talk about that today. And if you if you're interested, you can look at Psalm 30. That's where I'm going. Psalm 30. Uh, it's a psalm of distress. Actually, it's one of those psalms of uh, what Brueggemann would say is disorientation and. And, uh, and, and, and so the invitation this morning is simply, as we look at the Psalms over the next several weeks, we're going to understand that the Psalms lead us on the full-orbed journey of life. That God is with us when we're on the mountaintop. That God is with us when we're in the valley. And that God is with us everywhere in between. See, the normal, regular rhythm of life as a follower of Jesus is not a constant ascending arc. I know sometimes when we tell our stories, that's what it appears to be. is like we started here and we're just on this incredible ascension and it just is ever upward and ever onward. In fact, if we tell the truth, we're all over the map. We're up, we're down, we're in, we're out. We're out, we're in, we're out, we're out, we're out. We're in, we're out, we're in, we're out, we're up, we're down. Head and shoulders, knees and toes. <laughs> Wrong song. <laughs> Maybe everything I really did need to know I learned in kindergarten. And the Psalms encourage us to a healthy dependency on God. The Psalms encourage us to a healthy dependency on God. And so today, we understand that to look at the Psalms, we should actually perhaps read one, and Psalm 30 is where I'm going. And as you read it, perhaps you'll let this thought, thankful through tears, just sort of dig deeper into your soul. And uh, I've invited you in the last several weeks to just imagine or to contemplate or to experience in your mind and in your thoughts, uh, the presence of a real God present here and now speaking to us uh, as we are, where we are. And so today, this would be a really great place for us to do that again. So Psalm 30, verses 1 through 12, the whole of the psalm from the NIV says this, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sounds like a dire circumstance to me. Like, like it sounds like down and out, afraid that you might not get up. Verse 4, sing praises to the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only for a moment. Kurt, Kurt mentioned about his unfailing love that comes to us, that, it's, that his, his corrective in, intervention in our life, that, that's another way to stand it. His corrective intervention in our life lasts only for a moment. He speaks to us to correct us. It lasts for a moment. But your favor lasts for a lifetime. Your reckless love chases us down for a lifetime. 
Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I'm silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. Verse 11, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. The book of Psalms is an inspired prayer songbook that reflects the raw and real rhythms of human life. Wherever it is that you and I are in life at this time, the Psalms speak to us and speak into that life setting. So today we're going to pray and ask the Lord to speak to us through the Psalm. Today, Lord, we simply invite you here and now be present and be real among us. Be actively engaging our heart, our mind, our soul, our whole being. Today, quicken us by the presence of your Spirit to a yes. A yes to you wherever we are. A yes to your whisper, a yes to your nudge, a yes to your call, that we may be those who are being transformed by your great and wonderful love. These things we ask in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. I'm going to talk you through this morning Brueggemann's understanding of the rhythm of life that he sees in the Psalms. And so if you look at your listening sheet, there's, there's three things there, and there's parenthetically uh, a word that's left blank at the end. And, and each of those words uh, describe Brueggemann's understanding of the rhythm of life as we read through the Psalms. And so let's just start at the beginning, understanding we're going to sort of navigate our way through, that we're going to understand how God interacts with us with regard to the Psalms. And, and in this Psalm... Um, after you jump through the, the, the rescue, what you, what you get to is you get to the, the place where the psalmist says simply this, all is well. All is well. Uh, and, and Brueggemann says that would be the orientation of life. All is well uh, simply is this notion that there are satisfying seasons of life. Satisfying seasons of life. There are those, there's, there's those places where it just seems that when we wake up and whether the sun is not shining or shining, that uh, when we wake up there's a joy that is, uh, that is present, that uh, there's gratitude for God's presence, that there's a sense of God's blessing that surrounds us and is all around us. And we can just simply say, as my friend uh, Juan Cantu says, life is good. Some of you might know Juan. He previously was a part of the life of our church before he moved to the godforsaken city of Katy. I mean, that, that city west of us, Katy. 
we love Juan and pray that God continuing to speak to he and his family and just simply the orientation of life is that life is good and, and that, that parenthetical word you're going to fill in that blank it's orientation see life, life has these cycles and, and one of the cycles is simply uh, an orientation where everything seems to be making sense in our lives in this sense uh, verse 6 the, the, the expression that the psalmist writes for us is simply this. The understanding of his orientation is there. He says, when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. A rock to stand on. A secure place in which we have confidence that God is present, that he is at work, and that all things are good within us. It's the place where we say, you know, ever been working hard and you sit down finally for that first relaxing moment of the day with uh, something cold to drink and you take that you're just parched and you're dry and you take that sip of your cold beverage and you're finding a comfortable chair and you after you swallow that first drink you just say ah. that that's the orientation that god is at work and everything is good he said when I felt secure, I said, I'll never be shaken. Verse 7, Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain. You, you made my place, my life secure. Now, the interesting thing is that I don't know about you. This probably says more about me than it does about any one of you, is that often in the orientation of life, when life is good and I've sat down and I'm re refreshed with a, a cold beverage, and I say, ah, I begin to miss or disorient myself in terms of I misappropriate my, 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 my presence. And, and what I begin to think is, wow, am I not a good guy or what? Like, like my, my, my understanding of God's present blessing resting on me with a great awareness begins to twist ever so slightly and ever so wrongly towards self-satisfaction and a wonderful slap on my own back with both hands. You see, sometimes when everything is going well, rather than finding satisfaction in God, we find greater satisfaction in self that our self-reliance and our self-absorption rather than decreasing increases. And actually, as we read Psalm 30, I believe this is what's happening. When he says, I felt secure and I said to myself, I'll never be shaken. I, I read that this way. I'm beyond that now. I can never be moved into sadness. I can never be moved into doubt. I can never be moved into questioning ever again. And I wish I could say that were true, but it is not. The regular cycle, the regular rhythm of life is that God shows up, and as he shows up, we feel comfort, comforted and secure, but we regularly let the satisfaction of God turn into self-satisfaction and self-absorption. And in that self-reliance and self-absorption, we find ourselves blinded to the presence of God and his work in our lives. I actually sort of think that's what happened. 
that the psalmist here is experiencing orientation to God's blessing, which is real and true and powerful, but it's an overconfidence that moves itself away from God to self-reliance, self-absorption, self-satisfaction, that then is dismissive of the presence of God. So, so that all is well has an edge to it. And the edge of warning is simply this. Don't ever be deceived. You are not the source of your own satisfaction. Don't ever be deceived. You're not the source of your own satisfaction. There is someone who is at work in your life. His name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work in your life, orienting our lives for good, and is calling us to greater dependence rather than independence. And interdependence between God and others is a healthy movement in life. And we move towards self-reliance, self-absorption, and independence. And so this is the movement. All is well. That's our orientation. And, and when all is well, guess what? As soon as we discover all is well, just as quickly as it was well, all is lost. I mean, the snap. In the blink of an eye, our orientation has gone to disorientation. And suddenly, we were on the top of the mountain with the sun is shining, and now we have tumbled into the valley and the clouds have rolled in. The darkness has come, and it seems as though we might not make it through another day. You see, this is the expression that finishes verse 7. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face from me, I was dismayed. I have a little bit of trouble with the notion that God hides his face from us. I actually believe that God's face is always turned toward us. I actually believe that it's not so much that he hides himself from us, but that we refuse to look to his face turned toward us. Go back. Self-reliance that becomes self-satisfaction from the place that is good becomes an absorption and an independence that says, I can make it on my own. I have no need of God. Which then is not an indication that God has turned himself, himself from us, but that we have turned ourselves from him. I actually believe that's more accurate in the process of the rhythm of life. We're satisfied. Our self-satisfaction leads us to say we can make it on our own. When we can make it on our own, we stop looking to the one who is blessing us and encouraging us. We begin to depend on ourselves, and we just forget he's even watching or caring, and we go on about our merry way when we suddenly discover, oh, wow, I'm lost. I can't find myself. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. Disorientation are those seasons of hurt and alienation and anger and suffering. Uh, I, I wouldn't generally write this, but uh, um, this is uh, from a guy named, uh, let me find his name here, uh, Corey Caps, I believe. Uh, I, I, he, he says, disorientation. These are those anguished seasons of hurt, alienation, suffering, and death. It's the place when life sucks. I, I sort of like, he just gets right down to it. It's like, you know, it's just, there's just nothing good, Corey Caps. It's just nothing good going on. He says, 
The world is a hostile, cold place. God seems nowhere to be found. Psalms of disorientation match these seasons in ragged, raw expressions culminating in powerful laments that provide the abrasiveness needed for such hard, dark stretches of our journey. I love it. They get to be genuine with their feelings. You and I are invited to be genuine in our places and in our moments of disorientation. Maybe you want to join Corey and just say, sometimes life sucks, right? But here's what happens. The rhythm of life, when life has gone bad, reminds us of a place that we've been previously. When life goes bad, the disorientation reminds us of better days. You ever, you ever been in difficult times? And in the midst of an absolutely terrible, difficult time, the oddest, strangest thought ever was you remembered a time when it was better? You remembered a time that it was better and what you did during that better time was simply making yourself open and available to God? I love it. Karl Barth, theologian says this is what happens he says when we're at our wits end for an answer in life then the holy spirit can give us an answer but how can he give us an answer when we are still well supplied with all sorts of answers on our own see disorientation this is what disorientation does to us it strips us of our pitiful self-satisfaction. It strips us. And in stripping us, it reminds us that we don't have it all together, that we never had it all together, and that there is one who loves us with a reckless abandon, who is chasing us down always. And that almost always turns our hearts to saying, help. When I was a kid, I'm you know, that's a long time ago. Come on, you're supposed to laugh. <laughs> that was a long time ago. When you wrestled as kids, or at least when we wrestled as kids, you give it all you got, but then when you got into a hold that either, if it was good if you had somebody else in a hold and they couldn't get out, but, you know, every now and again you got in a hold you couldn't get out of, and, and when you were ready, when you were ready, for the person who has you in that hold to let you go, you'd say what? Uncle. I, that's what we said. Uncle. Uncle. And so when you cried uncle, it, it, the, the, you know, the, the rules of the game were let go. You, you know, you give up. You see, this is what happens. We're self-satisfied. We go into darkness. And when we go into darkness, we recognize we can't dig ourselves out. We're in a bind and we've, we're being held in a particular way. And we just simply say uncle. And uncle, in this sense, looks like this. It says, oh, Lord, hear me. And be merciful to me, Lord, help me now. See, in our disorientation, appropriately, we're taken back to times that are better. And when we're taken back to times that are better, we're invited by the power of the Spirit to cry out, Lord, help me now. Been there, done that regularly. We'll be there and do that again because this, in fact, is a rhythm of life. 
And I love this. Walter Brueggemann says this about that prayer, which is, To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I called for mercy. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, help me. And what's in between those two calls is simply this. The cry out is, God, if you silence me, what good is it? If I go down to the pit, what good is it? If, 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 if I die and go to dust, how will the dust praise you? How will it proclaim your faithfulness? And I, and I love what Brueggemann says. He says, prayer causes God to do things that he wouldn't do otherwise. Prayer causes God to do things that he wouldn't do otherwise. Now, I'm a little bit conflicted when I say that. Because I believe that God is always at work acting for our good. But I also believe that God desires greatly that we don't assume that he's always there working for our good, but that we actively engage and invite his intervening work in our lives. So I do agree with Brigham. There's this place where when we call out to God, we are aligning ourselves with the fact that we are those who are in great need and we need him to show up right here, right now. Here, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. And that is the prayer that causes God to do things that he might not otherwise do, which is simply this, awaken our hearts to be recipients of the things that he's already doing. It's the place where he wants to intervene. He wants to intercede in our lives. And you know, we've not invited him. We've not been aware of his action. We've not been aware of his activity. And so that kind of prayer awakens us to be receptive to the gracious, loving, kind, redemptive work that God desires to do in our life all the time. And then finally, there's this all is well, all is lost, and what happens in this psalm is what happens in our lives is that when God shows up, the third thing on your list there is hope is renewed. When we begin to see God at work fresh in our lives, once again, our hope is renewed and there is a new orientation in our life and this is what verse 11 and 12 say. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth. You clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. When our hope is renewed, we see God in a new light that fills us to overflowing. When our hope is renewed, we see God in a new light that fills us to overflowing. This new orientation is a surprising turn in life that suddenly and mysteriously we find ourselves lifted out of the pit, overwhelmed with a new experience of grace delighting in an awareness of God's wonderful gifts and seeing the rays of joy piercing the darkness of our lives. See, this is what happens. And this is the place where God awakens us to a new light of his overflowing love. And this is the rhythm of life, which is, this is the psalm. Psalm 30 is the psalm of a rescued life. 
That's what Psalm 30 is. The psalm is a psalm of a rescued life. And I say, I am one, and I'm guessing that I am looking at many who are also those who understand that God is the one who rescues us. And that as God rescues us, we can be thankful through tears because it is through the heartbroken, distant, separated places in God that we often find Him speaking to us, inviting us, and calling us to give voice to the cry of our heart, which is, Lord, have mercy. Lord, be near. Lord, bring your healing to me now. One final quote from Karl Barth. He says this, and I believe it to be true. There will be no songs on our lips if there be no anguish in our hearts. The psalm of a rescued life. See, the, song, the songs that turn our mourning and our sorrow into dancing are the songs that have rescued us from the anguish and the hurt and the pain of separation from feeling as though God not only doesn't see, but he doesn't care. And I want to say to you, the Psalms many begin with, God, where are you? But end with, oh, there you are. And I just simply want to remind you, that is the normal rhythm of life. It's the everyday, ordinary pattern of life. We are up, we are down, we are in, we are out. We are all over, and I want to say to you with great confidence, and wherever we find ourselves, God is there. And wherever we find ourselves, He is there with this simple invitation Call unto me, and I will hear, and I will answer you.